X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at Marvel's mutant releases every week. I'm Nico and you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Now, it's always exciting when we have a bit of a slower week that gives us an opportunity to dive into some books that we normally wouldn't be able to, and this is one of those weeks. But first up, we have X-Men mainstay Wolverine in issue 8 350. Josh leads a room of Maddie, Evelyn, and Arturo as they take a look at where Wolverine's been the last year, where he's going, and the exciting potentiality of the limitless directions of his story. Now, it may seem a little bit like this year has taken a little bit longer to get going for the old Knucklehead, but that's in part due to the shipping delays as well as the event Ten of Swords. The team is excited, though, for where the book seems to be heading and loves the addition of Adam Kubert's return to the art team. Take a look and we hope you enjoy. We're here today talking about Wolverine number eight or Legacy number 350, which means absolutely nothing except I got charged an extra dollar for this book. It has two stories. The main story, The Past Ain't Dead, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Adam Kubert and colors by Antonio Fabella, and a prologue story, oddly credited after the main story, called War Stories, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Victor Bogdanovich, and colors by Matthew Wilson. The whole thing is lettered by VC's Corey Pettit. Today, I have with me, Miss Evelyn. Evelyn, say hello. Hello. I am Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram at Twitter at comic underscore canary. We also have the amazing Arturo. Hi, everybody. I'm Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram, and we are joined by our good friend, Maddie. Hey, guys, it's Maddie, and as always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. And I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me on Twitter at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L, and at asleepatthewheel.com. Wolverine number eight. A group of mercenaries are stealing old Team X stuff, and Beast thinks they are led by a mind-wiped maverick. So Wolverine's going to track down his old buddy and bring him home to Krakoa. Arturo, what are your thoughts about Wolverine number 8 slash 350? Wolverine slash 350 felt like a remix of any number of those 350 issues. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm approaching my, my limit of Wolverine content, but we might be getting there, you guys. The beginning of the book, to me, just kind of pissed me off because this war story... So let's just cover that the beginning part. Basically, Wolverine walks through a gate on Krakoa to visit the CIA guy, Jeff Banister. I have a hard note here that literally says, the prologue is super disappointing. It's a stretched out Jeff Banister scene that doesn't need to exist. 
and feels like they jammed it in to get the extra pages that warrants taking my dollar. I guess. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it felt like. And and it just to me smacked of Wolverine black, white and, and blood or black, white and red, whatever that we've been reading. And it's just like, man, I don't need another another story where it's nothing's actually happening and it's all just a flashback to you know some military operation in fill in the blank to capture fill in the blank and kill fill in the blank like i just wasn't really there for it seeing maverick and Sabretooth in the flashback that kind of made me happy i you know like you josh i'm a, a 90s kid and you know i've got the first appearance of maverick and and all that and and i like the idea of revisiting that i found the prologue it, it left me wanting it, it didn't scratch any itch that i've been feeling and i just gotta say victor bogdanovich his Art is fine. It's serviceable. I'm ready to see somebody else on on this book. Victor Bogdanovich, I really kind of noticed it in this issue. He's a better choice for their vampire stories because the way he draws like these longer stretched out faces make the people look a little like undead and like skin hanging off of them but it doesn't work as much for like living humans the art for the first time just kind of like didn't really i don't know i, I mean and i know victor bogdanovich himself is you know problematic adjacent there's a lot of other great artists out there and i mean if if we have benjamin percy writing wolverine and x-force uh, you know at least give us something different on wolverine Maddie, I know that you have some thoughts on this, but start me off. We're eight issues into Wolverine, but we're, you know, 20-some into Wolver-centric Ben Percy stories. What is Ben Percy's main narrative? Like, what is he trying to do with Wolverine? You know, I'll be upfront. I don't know that I'm entirely sure what Ben Percy is trying to do, but I will... I will take a stance that seems to be an unpopular one here. My favorite part of this issue was actually the Jeff Bannister story in the beginning because it felt like it was hearkening back to Wolverine number four, four or five, before we got so tied up in Omega Red and the Dracula of it all. And then, of course, went careening into Ten of Swords at, at 100 miles an hour. I think that this was taking me back to some of the issues in this already short run. For a character that feels like he's been in so much of the Dawn of X, for it to only be eight issues, I was happy that we were going back to a time that seemed a little bit simpler with Pale Girl and the Flower Cartel, with him taking over a guest spot leading the Marauders. Like, that was my favorite moment to come out of this Wolverine title to current. And then the vampire stuff kind of derailed me in a major way. So do I know what Ben Percy is doing? No. Do I appreciate that we are getting a little bit more of like a cohesive storytelling element through Jeff Bannister? Yeah, that that seems to be a little bit of an anchor for me. Yeah, and I, I'll agree with that. I, I definitely, I've enjoyed the Jeff Bannister parts a little more. I don't think he's a bad character. I like the idea of, you know, the big Lebowski as, you know, father of a cancer girl, hippie CIA agent, rebel, whatever, as like a playoff Wolverine. Like this is Wolverine's liaison when he has to deal with the humans and we're getting that side thing. But again, like what is Ben Percy trying to do with Wolverine? There's times when I felt like this is, Wolverine as being too traumatized and he doesn't know how to handle he, he's a like he's a soldier who doesn't know how to live in peace and then there's other times that I feel like this is Wolverine doing his like liaising with humans instead of working with X-Force and then there's 
this is Wolverine fighting vampire. Like, I don't know why we. I have still vampires. don't know about the vampires, but, and I'm kind of glad that we don't see many vampires here. They're it's they're mentioned a little bit, but yeah. But it doesn't feel like the same Wolverine either. Like they don't necessarily feel like whatever Wolverine's personal character journey is. Like whatever this, like those stories don't sync up and feel like they're carrying that forward it feels like we're just kind of jumping around you know, i you would know fully I, agree with that i, I want to br- i want to bring something up for context have you guys listened to ben percy's uh wolverine the long night the podcast i love it i too. love it I love it too. I love it it with all my damn heart. That was basically my intro to Ben Percy before before Wolverine number one and X-Force number one hit. I I was excited for those titles because just previously I had fallen in love with both seasons of that podcast. Listeners, if you haven't heard it, that should be the next thing on your queue when you're done with our episode. It is exceptional. Could not recommend it more. The reason I bring that up is because I think it speaks to Ben Percy's whole approach to Wolverine, right? Where I don't feel like he is taking us on a on a on a on a a growth journey for wolverine i don't i don't think he's trying to tell us a new story i think he sees he has this idea of who wolverine is and how he is and then he's really good at writing these scenes of wolverine that just feel kind of very quintessential wolverine wolverine drinking wolverine carousing wolverine now we have wolverine dressed as patch going to mad report these things that feel very wolverine but it doesn't feel like it's delivering us to anything new you know what i'm saying i don't i don't feel like like we're trying to do anything different with wolverine i feel like he's just giving us kind of what you know what 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 is part and parcel of wolverine kind of like like batman right like if somebody writes batman it's hard to do something groundbreaking and new no but you have to kind of have your take on batman like batman can be so many different things like i need to know is this batman as the man who fights among gods is this batman as the world's greatest detective is this batman as like the patriarch of a surrogate family of orphans is this Batman like traumatized man child who hasn't gotten over his parents right. death like which Batman is it and I if you same. just keep bouncing around then it would be a really disjointed Batman book I mean the way that I see it it's definitely an anniversary issue this is something that I both love and hate about both DC and Marvel right now they're doing these anniversary issues and Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I feel like Wolverine, it just, it didn't work because just like everyone's been saying, it felt very disjointed. It felt like a ton of different types of Wolverine. It was, it was basically, it felt like a colored version of uh, black, white, and blood or whatever they were calling it, where they're just rehashing the same thing over and over. I really appreciated this family moment. If you've been listening to this podcast, I'm like hardcore here for like all of the family moments we We've been getting in Dawn of X because that's something that you don't get in comics very often. You usually have like, oh, I can't stand you kind of family dynamics. So that's something I appreciated. But like the different stories just they didn't mix. And then the random like the the random like text with Beast in it was like, why is why are we getting beast here we have a couple interesting scenes in here that are pieced together and they're very different like to the point where like matthew wilson and i I mentioned this in previous uh episodes matthew wilson does a good job of using like different tones 
for his different scenes. So like when we're dealing with, when we're changing from different character perspectives or different scenes, like he has a very different coloring. And so we had this very orange family scene with Omega Red and Deken and Gabby or Honey Badger. Before we go into the very blue scene at Dazzler's Malibu home. So the family dynamic and Omega Red, tell me... Give me some more on that, Miss Evelyn. Okay, so I'm just, I, I'm here for it because you, you there's a lot of drama between Wolverine and Dawkin for like just forever. So having these family moments where they're, what's the word, reconciling? Yeah, they're reconciling and they are starting to work together and they're starting to actually form this bond. And that's something you don't see in comics very much, which is something that we've been seeing in Dawn of X with like Cable and Rachel getting getting to know their parents and it's just it's I'm here for it because just having these positive things I feel like is really good for how kind of shitty the world is right now so <laughs> that's one of the reasons it's tugs at my heartstring I want so much more of this like and, and before I even cracked open this book I it's funny just like just this week uh, I'd been thinking about that and about how in other titles like in X-Men we're seeing so much of, of the summer's family dynamic right all throughout dawn of x and now reign of x we haven't seen a lot of like their interior lives but certainly anytime we see professor x magneto's right there they're definitely written as like a pair nowadays uh and so we're seeing all of these little little clusters forming and i would love to see a wolverine centric cluster form i would love and it's driving me crazy that laura is in the vault but nobody's doing anything about it i know she's coming out of the vault sooner or later um but yeah i'm happy that even without her around that He's still bonding with with the other two kids. Yeah. And okay, so this is an oversized issue. And we got five pages. Like I just went in and I counted again. It's five pages of Omega Red with Deken and Gabby. And I think that that's kind of the most interesting dynamic for me because they're part of the same family. But like, what is their relationship? Like, it kind of made me think of it because we know like Gabby to... Um, Laura, and we know Laura to Deken, and we know Laura to Logan, and we know Logan to Deken, and but like Gabby and Deken is kind of a slightly more interesting one. Like, is he like this, you know, weird uncle? Does he have any sort of protective or antagonistic nature? Like, I would like to see more of that. And I think five pages was just enough to make me realize that I would have wanted more of this. And I'm sad that we got so little. Like, I would have preferred a whole issue of, like, Wolverine family dynamic and getting to see those roll around as opposed to some of the other yeah, stuff. Yeah, I want to see them in Mad Rapport as his backup. I want to see, I like, I want to see them involved. Itself. Can we just, like have the rest of the Wolverine series just be the Wolverine family because I've made the connection between Wolverine and Batman so many times which made me laugh so hard when you guys made the connection because I've been making that connection for years like he definitely like he just he's just the dad he's such a dad well, that's what I want <laughs> so you know what that's kind of the problem here with Ben Percy writing both of these Wolverine titles in X-Force and Wolverine because in the Batman line they're very specific to have different writers on different bad books because they're going yes. to be like, okay, this is our detective title or this is our kind of Gotham City rogues gallery title or this is our, um, you know, space or this is our bat fam. Like whatever type of story they're doing, like, okay, this is going to be that one. And it's a different writer who's like taking that, like that's the 
centered and theme and feel right. of it. Right. They and, have these different titles that are kind of separate. They occasionally intermix, but they're just separate titles and separate things happening, which... Oh, the lines, the lines are yes. so blurred. But, I don't think it's possible to read Wolverine without reading X-Force. No, Wolverine and X-Force are just kind of one book-ish. Like, and we're not getting those different facets... You're not, you're not getting to really focus on him. I think that's why it feels disjointed with the bouncing around because Percy knows that they exist and he needs to get to them, but he really should just be having one book where he's focusing on one and another writer has the other book focusing on that. What are your thoughts, Maddie? Personally, I think my hope, rather, is that this issue is setting up a transition of sorts for Wolverine. I have a feeling that the reintroduction of Jeff Bannister is going to be something that, you know, in, in, in my opinion, I think the reintroduction of Jeff Bannister to move along the story to Madripoor is setting up the future of what comes next for Wolverine. It is a nod to what has come before, before the convolution of the Dracula plot into Ten of Swords. I think that was meant to move us along, and I think that the family dynamic scene confronting Omega Red was to put a pin in the Wolverine and Omega Red relationship in his solo title to allow it to transition to Ben Percy's work in X-Force. Because he even pretty much says, we've put you on notice. You know, this was your warning. And we won't do it again. And Omega Red says, you know, don't make enemies out of friends. It felt very definitive. It felt very much like a separation of the story that has come before and the the progress that can be made in the story going forward. As Arturo pointed out, Ben Percy did tremendous work in the two, uh, two series of the Wolverine podcast, which is where I developed a love for him. So I don't doubt his ability to tell this story. I think I'm a little bit doubting to current his ability to separate the story from the story of X-Force. That's that's fair, and that's a really good take. I, I like the way you put that. It's also fair to note, because I like Ben Percy, too. Um, he is my favorite of all the Sexy Lumberjack comic book writers. He is my favorite. He also got, like, he got a bad deal here. You would think that someone establishing and starting a new Wolverine solo title would really be laying the groundwork for what type of story they're trying to tell in their first five to six issues in that first trade. But he had one. He had two, as Evelyn pointed out earlier. Number one had to be a big super money um, expense issue. And so we have to tell two different stories. So he was tasked with starting two different simultaneous tracks of story at the same time in order to sell like a $10 issue or whatever it was for the first one. And then he got pandemic slammed into, you know, with shipping delays into X of Swords. And he never really got to have like a one, like he didn't get that first trade groundwork laying the way a normal title would when you're establishing what type of story. Yeah, but even have. with the amount of, you know, of, of freeway he was given, he chose to start off with a Dracula story, which I think is questionable at best. You know what I mean? Like, Dracula is is royalty-free and whatever, and I know that in comic books you're going to see Dracula and vampires are going to pop up. Uh, but it, it just seems uh. like something that you get to eventually. You know, you, you, you when you're doing a show, you have that episode or whatever, but it's not what you come out of the gate. So, yeah, I love Benjamin Percy too, and and I and I think sometimes I am a little biased in his favor, and with Josh Kassara. That's that's honestly I like X Force more than than I might. 
because I like both of them so much, uh, not just as creators, but just their whole vibe. I just think they're both really cool people, kind of the opposite of the Victor Bogdanovich effect, right? Like I I have a lot of affection for him, but there's only so far that that's going to go in having me forgive him. And let's be clear too, Bogdanovich only did the opening scene with Bannister. The rest of the book was drawn by Adam Kubert. So all of the Wolverine family dynamic with Omega Red, the uh, Dazzler's Malibu house getting robbed, and the weird quicksandy interrogation of the guy. I don't really understand the physics of that, but that scene, and then Beast tying Wolverine's bow tie for him, like Wolverine hasn't been dressing up like Patch for a hundred years, and like pretending that Beast's big hairy thumbs are even capable of tying a bow tie, like that whole mess of, <laughs> mess of a scene at the end as well. Like, so all of that was Adam Kubert. Leah, I just want to say that it's it's like the art equivalent of like, fuck, kill, marry, but I don't want to kill anybody. I just feel like they need to be like rearranged a little bit. I think Victor Bogdanovich would do tremendous work over on Hellions. I think that his specific dark grit would translate really well in contrast, in, in complement rather, to the alternative tone of Zeb Wells' work on Hellions. I think Josh Kassara is in the perfect spot where he is. I think that Josh Kassara on X-Force is doing amazing things. I think that the the nuance and emotion and motion that he brings to his pieces are tremendous. As for Adam Kubert, I would love to see him, if, if we see another personnel change on X-Men, I would love to see him move to X-Men because I think that the, the reality that he's bringing to these characters, to see him bring, to bring Honey Badger to life immediately in a way that didn't make me say, is that Laura? You know what I mean? To see Dokken appear so differently than his David Baldion incarnation in X-Factor, but to immediately say, okay, that's Dokken. You know, you took two second string characters and brought them immediately into the fray in an undeniable way. I think Adam Kubert would do tremendous work over on X-Men, but all three of the artists that are featured are really tremendous players. Yeah, we can't say this enough. The X line in particular has an amazing depth of artists right now. They have so many fantastic artists. Oh, absolutely. um, And so many of them are being used in the best way. There's little to complain about in terms of art that way. Um, Yeah, we could shuffle them around or say that we'd love to see them. I personally would love to just see a month where they just completely random shuffle and it's like who gets who and, you know... Phil Noto's doing Wolverine or, you know, Kassara's doing Excalibur. Like, they all just have, like, a month working with a different artist or something. Like, David Baldion does the main X book. I think it would be fun just to shuffle them, like, for a one-off thing. But they're all so good it doesn't – there's no loss. Yeah. Um, we are blessed with great art right now. Yeah. I want to give a, a little shout-out here to Kubert's pages in the Shadow Room. The, like, CSI forensics blue area that Beast, Sage, and Wolverine were meeting. And I thought that was that was a cool little introduction to this, this new room. It kind of did feel to me like way back when Jean Grey used her telepathy to kind of recreate a crime scene. So, whatever. But it, I thought it was cool. Uh, are, are, you, are you referencing back to the Volume 1 in Donna? of x it was the attack on one of the points uh i think it might have been x force number two yeah or maybe it was when xavier was assassinated but it was it was yeah i mean it was gene gray 
Or you're going to have to be much more specific on which Xavier death tag. Whatever. The point being that it was Jean Grey using her telepathy to recreate the, a scene. And it was by Josh Arath. Yes. No, it's something they've done before. And so it had a familiar feel while all so still looking cool and new um i'll say this i know beast has become a a less popular character nowadays people are really starting to hate on him i kind of like that beast is being defined in the way that he's being defined because even before he starts being shady you see him on the page and you already get like that vibe from him like they they're definitely doing a a lot of work to to change beast's whole whole, you know role within the krakoan universe and i think it's great I mean, it's not that big of a change. Like, for me, one of my personal favorite, like, long-running beast things, and this goes all the way back to Age of Apocalypse, is the fact that Age of Apocalypse had a dark yeah. beast, but regular <laughs> beast is <laughs> so freaking similar to dark beast that, like, sometimes they just work together and, yeah. like... Yeah, it's it's great. So I mean, yeah. like this isn't new that like, ooh, does Beast have a, you know, dark or morally dubious side to his, you know, science and research? Like Bendis hammered that home. Like Bendis beat that horse to death in Uncanny 600. Like um and it's been going on since um Age of Apocalypse and it's <laughs> one of the more fun like if you're a longtime X-Men reader, it's one of the more fun things that writers get to very subtly play with about him yeah I, and i think it's great i think it's cool that the percy's having fun with that and really digging into it but yeah i totally agree with you it's nothing new i mean hell beast almost destroyed the space-time continuum to make a point to scott summer's face like beast is definitely morally flexible and i and i like when we when we play with that i mean it almost makes him bearable to me that it's like he's not boring anymore i mean it's not exactly the great direction but at least he's not boring yeah it's cool he's got he's 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 like fulfilling a role you know and it's just getting it's just getting worse you know you just you know he's just issue by issue he's just inching towards you know dark beast and and i think everybody's on board with it and i i really hope that we get a good they're building towards a confrontation between gene and hank and i hope that we get i mean not just a confrontation where she's getting tired of him of this Which is great that she's the one who's getting tired of it because everyone else has been tired of it forever, but she was gone for a while and now she's back and is like, oh, fuck this. But also that they both have their memories now from when they were like time displaced teens. And so like now they have like this little like romance backstory and making out like when they were teens and their time adventure. And like, so there's a little bit of that to draw on with her, like cares about him, but is frustrated. Like there's a, it can be done so well. And I, I'm, I'm trying to brace myself that like, it might not be done so well. Um, but I hope we get some really good beast gene stuff in the future when that comes to a head. Let's talk about Maverick a little bit. Um, Evelyn and Maddie, do you are you guys familiar with Maverick? I'm asking you because I know Josh for sure has to be. You probably have the first appearance of him, like I do, from the Xavier Files. What about you guys? I I am not familiar with Maverick. I'll be honest. I was a little bit surprised to hear one of the two boys here say that uh, appearing next to Wolverine and Maverick was Sabretooth 
in the opening segment of this issue. I couldn't for the life of me figure out who T-Max was supposed to be. And I feel like it's because I have like a lot of backstory on like Wolverine as a part of Weapon X, but anything more like, you know, special ops, like I imagine him with the helmet and a loincloth, you know, running away with his claws all out and a flutter. You know, uh, Team X stuff, not familiar at all. Well, some of that is just because Wolverine's history has been so overwritten that it doesn't all make sense if you think about it at once. I mean, for me, like, my brother is obsessed with Wolverine, so he's read everything Wolverine, which means I have, because we would swap comics, and I'm just like, I love this, read this. He's like, I love this, read this. So we do that all the time. So I actually did read this stuff. Like, my brother and I have this weird obsession with late 80s, early 90s comics, because they're so bad, they're fun, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yes like they're just they're terrible but in a they're fun way terrible. I'm, I'm not I, I can't be objective about it they're great they're <laughs> fucking awesome i mean i love them they have a special place in my heart so i am familiar with it i think that it's really fun that we're getting maverick coming back in um because he was kind of just a fun little shitster like back in the day so i'm curious to see what they're going to do with him maverick was what i call a toy biz character which is to say that when they were making Toy Biz uh, X-Men toys and they needed to continue to make new characters so they could continue to make new Toy Biz toys, they were just, you know, where can we fit and what are these new characters? Like, can we give them a name? And it is it like they needed a toy and Maverick was a, a character made to make another toy. Um, oh, absolutely. Along with plenty of other the 90s explosion characters. So. They're literally boy toys. Yes. <laughs> one scene that I don't think we talked about enough was the one that, if you're like me, made you immediately think of our friend Nathan. Uh, they go to Dazzler's Malibu Mansion. <laughs> and we get some really cool, talk about Kubert art. The Dazzler, like, again, don't understand the physics, but the Dazzler sound light wolves that are her home security system were very pretty. It was um, fucking awesome. I love it. I love them. <laughs> I don't understand it, but I like it. Yeah, exactly. And it's always nice. Like, just if you can find a reason to put Dazzler's name in a comic, it doesn't have to make sense for me. It'll just it feels like happy. a running gag now that Dazzler is not on a team, never, never has speech bubbles, never has an active role. But somebody's either texting her or her name pops up or it's like she's there. She's very popular. But for some reason, it's like we're not putting her on a team. We're not putting her on panel. Like, I don't get it. Ugh. If they're not working up to something, I'm going to be sorely disappointed because we always need more Dazzler. We're we're so desperate for Dazzler like that they know we will be sated just by seeing her name. Since we mentioned how disjointed this has been and we did the Batman comparison of there's so many different types of Wolverine and Logan, where like what type of Wolverine story or version do you like the most or would you like to see um, prominent in this title moving forward? You know, there's Japanese Logan, there's Madripoor Patch, there's Team X Wolverine, there's, you know, our, our X-Men team player, there's Headmaster of the School Wolverine, there's, you know, Patriarch of, you know, the Clone Family Wolverine, like, which, if only one of them was going to be, like, the main type of Wolverine story, like, that would, this Wolverine book was going to be that Wolverine book, which one would you want? I think knowing what has been established right now, 
knowing what has been established in eight issues plus the supplementary content through X-Force, I would say Madripoor Wolverine is what I want to see go forward because I really don't want to get bogged down in the Omega Red Dracula love triangle. It's not for me. If I could pick any one, like for the book to do a complete about face in tone, I want to see kind of headmaster slash like paternal mentor Wolverine. I think that's what I expected coming out of House and Powers. You know, the the in House One, the exchange between Professor X and Jean Grey when they look at each other across a field and they say, you know, you're safe here. We're all safe. You're home now. And Wolverine is playing in the grass with a bunch of children. You know, that's kind of what I thought we'd be getting. I didn't know that that was just like a Sunday in the park moment. You know, I, I agree. And I think that if you want to explore like the soldier who has trouble living in a time of peace, I think that's the best way to do it. I think Wolverine's the type of character that will let himself suffer, but doesn't want to see the younger ones around him suffer, wants to protect them. And, you know, having him help them live with peace is the best way for him to be able to work on and make that adjustment. You know, if we were going to see him uh, follow that line. What do you think, Evelyn? I was just about to say, I like fully agree with having him more as like this parental unit um, where I just, I love the comics where he's just so protective of the younger students. And I kind of want to see him more in a teacher role, personally. I think that he deserves to rest. He deserves a break. Um, And maybe teaching can definitely be part of that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. I think it would be great to see that. I think that um, don't hold your breath i don't think we're going to get that that iteration of logan i think uh i I think a more realistic hope would be uh kind of to harken back to the days of when x-force was you know the black ops team and he was running around with domino and archangel and laura i loved that dynamic because he was so protective of her he was such a like father figure uh but she was her own character and and it was just a lot of fun it was a big bloody mess but i loved that era so much and wolverine had more autonomy there he was he was running that team he was answering to cyclops but he was running that team right now with x-force it definitely feels like that's beast team right and and it's this you know shadowy cia team and wolverine's definitely not taking a leadership role there however he's in both that book and in this book so it's just it's really hard to pin down where he is and what he's doing it feels like they're still going with this wolverine is a loner thing but it doesn't really work as well with the whole concept of Rokoa. So yeah, I I would like to see a change. I'd like to see it be a lot more Wolverine and his kids uh, than it is. All right. So I think that is about it for Wolverine number eight slash 350. I really do hope, and I know Evelyn, you said it earlier, that like it feels like they're trying to find reasons to make things bonus and oversized. And my fear is that they do to Wolverine what they did to Deadpool during uh, Jerry Dugan's run, which is make like every second or third issue some monumental $10 bonus thing. Like, hey, it's the uh, 47-month anniversary of the first time Deadpool farted in a comic. Like, $9.99 with bonus stories from whatever. Like, I, I mean, I, you're I, not that far off. <laughs> I can't. That That's what drove me from the book. Like, Jerry Duggan did... Uh, a really great job with that book, but I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up. Like it was publishing no less than 18 issues a year. And so many of them were these big supersized things that I just never wanted to sit. Like it became a pile, like a backed up pile of books that I did not want to catch up on. 
and I hope they don't do that with Wolverine um, because right. I'm getting little like <laughs> it's it's setting my like like I'm getting little like PTSD like oh god I hope they're not doing this again uh I am totally with you. Like, I'm going to say something really controversial. Go ahead and at me on Twitter if you disagree, but I don't care. The DC comics with the anniversaries are so much better than the Marvel. I have not been liking the Marvel anniversary issues like this Wolverine. Like, it was just, it was just too much. It didn't really work. And then back with the Spider-Man with 850, that one was really odd and didn't really work because they're trying to make it current with their stories while also so showcasing like their past and everything and it's just not working make it just an anniversary issue make it just a storyline that is continuous don't try to mesh the two together it, it's just it's not working and dc even with all the problems they're having at least their anniversary issues like make sense and flow so and, and yeah. i'll also <laughs> say the dc anniversary issues feel like you're getting a lot for eight to ten dollars yes um, you know, I remember Fantastic Four 650, which I think was Slot's fourth issue. So we had just had a big issue one, and now we have a big issue four, and it was the wedding of Ben Grimm. And so I get that, like, okay, it's 650, so we're going to do a wedding and make it bigger. But it was like eight, nine dollars, and it didn't feel like, the, oh, I feel uh, like, I don't know what I got, like, what, what was the extra that I got for eight, nine dollars? Like, it just felt like that happened in issue four. And I got charged double because it, it was, you know, it ended in, you know, a zero. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Marvel has definitely had issues with that here. Wolverine 350, um, Fantastic Four 650, Spider-Man 850, these kind of oversized anniversaries they're trying to do, but they're not really bringing in people for that extra content. Um, they're, they're not... It, it doesn't feel worth the money that I'm spending because I'm, a, you know, subscribed to it. The way... The way the big um, prestige bound DC anniversaries have. I mean, like, I really appreciate the milestones. I think these are incredible milestones and they should be celebrated. And it's disappointing that they're not done justice because it is kind of cool that this is Wolverine's 350th individual issue. Like, it was the 80th anniversary for like so many things recently. Uh, like, a lot of 50th anniversaries, the Spider Man 850 that was just so incredible and I just wish they did it differently and did it a bit more justice it felt more like a money grab than an actual celebration which is why I like the DC one so much because it felt like a celebration and it felt like it was worth the money that we spent on it Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast. I'm Nico, and I love that this was a slightly slower shipping week because it gave us the opportunity to cover a title that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Now, we've already added Savage Avengers to our coverage here on Excess for Podcast, and it's because of the number of X-Men-related characters showing up in the pages of it, whether it's Wolverine, Juggernaut, or Ileana. Now, this next book, Strange Academy, is no different. Whether it's Wanda or Ileana, a number of X-related mutants and magicians are showing up in the pages of this Scotty Young-created title. Humberto Ramos is doing the art on this amazing book, and our team could not have been more positive on what it was that made this book special. Rod, Raven, Robbie, and Rakhile are here to bring you their favorite parts of these last six issues and their hope for its future. We hope you guys enjoy.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Pod. I am Rodders. You can find me at Rod, the on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have with us Kyle. Hey, everyone. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Uh, also with us is Raven. Hello, it's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. You can find me all over the webs at Dame Red Bento. Just type it in. You'll find me all over the place. And we also have Rob with us. How you doing, Rob? Hey, everyone. I am Ravi, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. Nice. That's everybody we have today. And today we are talking about the first six issues, or the, basically the first trade of Strange Academy. Yay. Now, Strange Academy is written by Scotty Young, artists by Humberto Ramos, and then the color artist is Edgar Delgado, and then the letter is VCs Clayton Cowles. Now, Strange Academy is about a school of magic, kind of like Hogwarts, but better. (laughs) (laughs) And it's basically Dr. Voodoo and Dr. Strange creating a school with other magical superheroes to train the next generation of magic users to get them, you know, prepared and experienced enough to deal with what comes with being a magic user and we they get the setting is new orleans Mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful school with many different kinds of characters and students from asgard other world weird world and earth and i believe it's it's a really good series i think it's one of the best new ones out and it's really fresh it's something different and for all the x readers it does have magic iliana rasputin in it so that's a good incentive to read it if you only read x-men and there's all there's also uh references to a few other magic uh related mutants as well oh definitely yeah wanda maximov and uh hellstrom uh, dr voodoo dr -hmm. strange yeah they've got they've got a nice kind of cavalcade of magical mystical characters that we all know and love from marvel oh yeah then they got the ancient one and man thing like man thing's actually a teacher which is awesome i really love that direction (laughs) i love the fact that they made the ancient one old asian and male again (laughs) yeah yeah yes that's that's always how he should be not a middle-aged white woman Uh, (laughs) even even if she even if she is a good actress doesn't mean Mm -hmm. she needs to part all right exactly matters unfortunately i think she will also be in the third doc i mean the second doctor strange movie well then i will continue to give her the finger (laughs) i know i some things you just can't rewrite i guess but back on strange academy let's start with kyle how do you feel about strange academy uh i i think it is adorable i absolutely love what they do with these characters and how they all struggle to acclimate to the environment and to the diversity of the student population. Mm -hmm. There's just so many shining personalities among these characters and they're all unique. They're all lovable. I I just love it. It's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very adorable book. I definitely agree with that. It has a lot of 
new characters that people can grow to love which i hope we do (laughs) what about you raven well i liked it because they did give you like this really great giant cavalcade of of students that you get to know and everybody's a little bit different they didn't take them all from like oh yeah you're all from england or oh yeah you're all from you know this place or that place it's like literally they're from different worlds different dimensions from all over you have like the son of dormammu and Nuitl, basically a an animus witch from like south america and then you have uh zoe and you have desi who's uh, basically a demon of the spirit so like yeah they took this really wide swath of different characters and they were not afraid to make them all very very different you know you've got fey kind you've got ice giants you've got all kinds of things and yeah they all very much act like like teenagers but they're very like they have nuance to them and it's great because you can actually get into and involved with each and every one of them and really find which ones you really like and which ones you're like oh you're, you're kind of a dick you remind me too much of this person from high school but you're still interesting <laughs> but yeah it's, it's good i really like it i'm i'm super enjoying this nice nice what about you robbie I absolutely love it. Like, this series definitely gives me, like, kind of what I've been searching for in, like, a teen book ever since, Mm -hmm. like, New X-Men Academy X. Like, it really gives me those, like, that dynamic that that team lineup had. Zoe is definitely my absolute (laughs) favorite. I'll just jump in and say that right away. She is... She reminds me so much of Monet from the original, like, mm. Generation X. Uh, I can see that. Because, you know, there's kind of, like, a couple of parallels with, like, you know, having a little secret, being the best character. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, definitely with a bunch of the other characters, I it's, it's easy to get attached to them. And that's what mm-hmm. I really adore about this especially with like how adorable they look with the art as well yes. yeah oh my God. Well, the Ooh, art is amazing art. like uh, he does great art in this book it really matches the way with the, the way scotty young writes it they go hand in hand they must have like a good little friendship connection or something because you can kind of tell when artists and writers have like a good connection because it flows mm-hmm. so greatly yeah the, the line work is beautiful and and very kind of nice and clean and open and then this kind of watercolor s coloring is just so beautifully done it gives it that slightly ethereal or magical kind of quality that you want to see when you're dealing with a magic book you don't want like overly heavy or overly dense uh lines for the most part or, or color for the most part and they just they do such a good job at it it felt like everybody was on the same page when it came to this oh, definitely. that's such a ga- that's such a great way of putting it yeah <laughs> i, I agree <laughs> I would say it also gives like a more, I don't, you kind of touched on it, but like a more adolescent feel the art does. Like it's yeah. not so serious, like it's serious, but mm-hmm. it's not so like, I don't know. It's like, not d- like Daredevil. angst. Yeah, it's not, like, <laughs> it's not like Daredevil going to church and talking about his like, <laughs> It's not that deep, like surreal art. It's like mm-hmm. adolescent, I'm going to figure this out. Oh, I messed up, but it's cool because I'm cute. So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very, it's open, it's very refreshing, especially when you're used to uh, reading a lot of like X-Men, Punisher, you know, like a, a lot of deep, dark, kind of heavy books. This one's a little bit lighter, but still like really fun and does touch 
touch on serious stuff kind of like zoe's secret mm-hmm. um and the way desi is like i know your secret and you're like oh my god desi and the thing that sh- she doesn't realize that do uh talking like that isn't appropriate on earth <laughs> no it's not appropriate and does not keep anybody's secret when you're doing I know your secret. Girl, everybody now knows I have a secret. Right. <laughs> That's why when, when you said Zoe reminds you of M, Desi kind of ironically enough reminds me of Magic because obviously she grew yeah. up in Limbo, but yeah. she has like the young Magic in the Fresh New Mutants. Mm-hmm. She is like Desi. She's like, she doesn't really know how to talk to people because she grew up in Limbo and is kind of mm-hmm. like awkward and kind of, you know, evil. So... <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell she's trying so hard not to be yeah. evil. She's trying to be, you know, very straightforward and just be herself. But yeah, she's like, oh man, she's like, she reminds me a bit of like Raven from Teen Titans. Yes, oh, yes, yes. yes. Way less emo right. about it. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's not as emo as Raven, but she's definitely in that direction <laughs> around that area. Mm-hmm. I love her. And then you have uh you have Doyle, the son of Dormammu. Doyle um, Doyle's Doyle. one of my favorites. He's, oh, yeah, yeah, same. I love him a lot. He's yeah. he's, he's the hot headed, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna rule this. I'm gonna do this. I am so cool. Screw those guys over there. <laughs> I wanna see who I know later in like I think March they're gonna have a parent issue of Strange oh. Academy. Oh. I wanna see who Doyle's mom is. Or did or did Dormammu just make him out of magic? Like I don't know. Magic in a yeah. bad Halloween outfit. Come on. Right. He's <laughs> <laughs> not a pumpkin head. <laughs> oh. I really want to see his mom because I'm like, is it is it like another Dormammu, but like Dormamus? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Dormammus. I, 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 I don't know. Miss Dormammus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, uh, this June Cleaver, you know, ancient god, <laughs> sitting down in like perfect little, you know, nineteen fifties dress and everything, but like total old god face going on. You're like, okay, right? See, that'd be fun. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then you have um, the two Asgardian brothers. Oh my god! <laughs> They're Which one of them just? Oh my god! Hot. They are so uptight and <laughs> so stuck in their ways that they can't accept that anybody could possibly have any good in them oh yeah i mean it's very they're very asgard like they're yes. top tier asgard oh, yeah. you like you wouldn't even have to tell me they're from asgard and I'd be like oh yeah <laughs> they're, they're, they're asgardians like very their scary. mannerisms they hate everybody that's not like them <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing is one of them just doesn't like anybody who's not like them and the other is just like oh we we know better because our our magic is more ancient but don't worry i'll i'll still be your friend i'm just gonna call Coddle you like you're an idiot. I, I know. Like, mm-hmm. Dude. <laughs> We've all known people like that in high school. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's very awesome to see that in like in your pictures as well. But even with as hot headed as as or, or stuck in their ways as both of them are, they're still likable. Oh yeah. That's that's difficult to do with a character, but they, they pulled it off well. Yeah. That's what I love about all these characters. They're all likable. They all have, mm-hmm. you know, negatives or whatever to them. They all have characteristics that makes them not as likable. 
but we still enjoy seeing them everybody on the page like i'm not just waiting yeah. to see one character i want to see all the character sides i i want i want to see more from a couple of so far i mean it's only been six issues so they've only been able to focus on a couple of them mm-hmm. but i can't wait to see more from like thoth and germaine and um Oh, what's the little little kid? Calvin. With the... Calvin yes. Oh my god, I was just thinking about him. I'm like, jacket. this Calvin's jacket. Really cute. He's, he's just oh. such a bouncy little kid, and oh my god, yes. <laughs> oh my god. so he's y'all. so inquisitive. <laughs> and uh, speaking of the March issue that comes out with the family, so the cover of the March issue is Calvin um, alone in the hall with his family day oh, because he doesn't have a no. mom and dad. Yeah, he's I, a know. I know. I know. So. It's gonna be such a sad issue. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm not ready. It could be really good because they might, be. they might like focus more on finding him, you know, family within the academy. Which, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. Oh, well, um, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. like one of the teachers could kind of like, right? Be oh, what if one of the day? teachers adopts them? What if Scarlet oh. Witch is like, I'm gonna get another kid? Oh God, no, no, no. <laughs> I, no Magic is like, look, one. even I know this is a bad idea. <laughs> He's like, Calvin, run. Just run away. (laughs) (laughs) But no, his cool little jacket. He's, even with all the the fat jokes and the food jokes inserted, he's still such a, you know, bouncy, resilient kid. And he reminds me of kids from the foster system. I myself am actually from the foster system. And yeah, this kid's got more bounce back and he he tries really hard not to let anything like get to him, get to him. He's like, yeah, whatever. Just, okay, moving on we're doing this thing and you know he's he's got some snap to him he's got some resilience to him i love him for it and they they did they did these characters so well oh they did they did and i love the the teachers that we also have mm-hmm. in this because we get you know we the only one we've gotten really more um inside of their teaching style is like the ancient one and magic mm-hmm. the rest of them we haven't really seen magic sending magic sending Doyle and yeah i mean eric and eric yeah to to limbo was perfection quintessential magic (laughs) that has to be one of my favorite moments because to her it's like oh you know they'll be fine it's a little you know lesson for them and then for you know other people that's not a normal little (laughs) session That's no, not, not like a normal detention right there. Oh <laughs> I love how Dr. Voodoo like scolds her. He's like, well, you know, we, we had a good first day except for magic. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the look on her face, like, what did I do wrong? Like, right? She's what? like, well, you had a zombie in your classroom, so we're not all innocent. Right. <laughs> As as if oh. as if a chained up zombie is the same as sending two of your students to a limbo dimension right. to fight their way back. Oh, 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 by the way, if people are listening, spoilers if y'all oh, didn't God. already understand that. Like right. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I feel like they would if we're talking about the six issues, there's gonna be spoilers. So if you yeah. if you haven't read them, just pause right now, go read them yeah. and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> yes, they're, they're really good. It's definitely worth it. Honestly, God. I feel like this was my favorite series. One of my favorite series is last year because it, it just every issue I got a lot.
lot out of it. Yeah, there wasn't absolutely. one issue that felt like filler to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely one of those issues where sometimes I would forget when it would be coming out. So whenever I would go to the comic book store and it's in my pull box, it's like, it was like a fun little surprise of the month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Like, ooh, I get a present. Right. (laughs) Yeah, definitely with COVID, it was a lot of up and down. Thankfully, it's going back to it seems like monthly, so that's Mm. good. But COVID would be more under control. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, so good. Like, it's so much fun. Like, they really did a good job, not only in the storytelling and character development, in the art. Like, they they hit all the boxes, and even with the teachers being character. Characters you already know. They didn't stray off the path of of the character that you already know in order to make them a teacher. They just made him a teacher with that with that style. Like, yeah, and they didn't make yeah. any of the teachers the main focus either. It was still the kids. Yeah. Just the teachers right. were just interjected. You know, mm-hmm. that was nice. Right. We do get a good amount of time with the teachers as well, though. So especially yeah. in the fifth and sixth issues, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we do. So it's nice being able to see that kind of time being split between the main characters as well as as the teachers as the support cast so i I really enjoyed that yeah which which actually brings me like to the next point i was actually gonna want to talk about is that i love that this whole setting or the surrounding setting is new orleans like Mm -hmm. we don't get another like it's in england or whatever we get Mm -hmm. like a a cultural big cultural place that's known for you know it's magical entities and it's you know it's also surrounded by people of color and not just you know white english people so (laughs) (laughs) so it's really nice and we even get like deeper into the culture of new orleans and some of the later issues and, oh, yeah and i love that i love that we get to explore like we get to explore new orleans with the students that haven't been there and that's nice yeah it's oh it's so it's it's great that they put it there because i was honestly when i saw the gates i at first thought that um because i saw a preview of it i saw like, the gates and i was like oh god are we in are we in new york yet again <laughs> like nothing wrong with new york but there's so many things in new york already it it's like how do you walk two blocks without tripping over you know a mutant mansion a magic academy uh you know the you know, king of monster island like how many more things can you put on there <laughs> yeah, before it's exactly. just coney island but on <laughs> new york state level yeah but no they yeah they took it to to new orleans which is i mean it was beautiful it was lovely they're like uh oh uh, emily blake i think is the character um that you're introduced to as your first protagonist right. emily bright mm-hmm. and, oh that's right emily bright and then zelma oh my god i love zelma but yeah she's like why what is that smell she's like oh yeah welcome to the welcome to new orleans it's gonna smell like this it's kind of weird it's kind of wacky but it has you know deep history and you know this is a good place for magic academy because when strange shit happens nobody questions it overly much right and and we we get we really get to explore the city like they they spend time in the french quarter they go to what kind of shop was it was was it just a museum Um, it was like it was a museum and it had um you know kind of a seer or psychic at the very end i believe it was a voodoo museum i believe yes Mm -hmm. yes it was a voodoo museum which i mean if i if i don't know if y'all have been in new orleans but uh i have a a (laughs) twice (laughs) and 
a lot of the shops like that look exactly like that, especially the French Quarter. They got it exactly right, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad they did their research and made it look very authentic in the comic book. Like that speaks volumes because you know, like like Raven said, we're used to seeing you know New York settings or you know California settings, but we never really see more authentic settings like this, like New Orleans or something like that, more deeper into the States in comic books. It's mm-hmm. usually just big, big cities. So I'm yeah. glad that they got all the authenticities right of New Orleans. They didn't just throw it together. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like they actually did the research and, and you know, kind of looked up some of the culture and, and definitely how, how the place looks. So yeah, it was, it was really nice. But yeah, instead of giving us the, the adult nightlife, they gave us, you know, kids wandering through the city and <laughs> yeah. in packs and, you know, doing their thing. But yeah, it was oh so beautiful and wonderful. And I think having it being based in New Orleans kind of makes it a little easier for all of these diverse characters to feel comfortable. It's a more mm-hmm. laid back city, I think. Yeah. And it's, they're not, most of them, I should say, aren't afraid to be who they are when mm-hmm. they're walking around. And I, I, it, it feels freeing mm-hmm. for those characters yeah oh yes. God, most definitely yeah i definitely feel that as well uh who else has been to new orleans one or two, long ago long ago <laughs> long ago i was a kid okay yeah i would really really love to visit there though it, it is it's, it's a beautiful place i mean in some parts it's beautiful but it's very cultural i should say mm-hmm. it's yeah. very cultural it, it makes you feel really alive um don't have a hurricanes there um <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, no matter how many shops tell you to buy that don't drink that um, <laughs> but because then you will you will regret it for like the rest of your vacation um <laughs> but they, i would say whoever if you go to new orleans you know go to the voodoo shops go to the you know vampire s shops that have all you know the history of that go to mm-hmm. marie laveau um, museum that they have there take the ghost tours oh those are great mm. i hope they, i hope we see in the further of this series i hope we see like some some ghost stories because there's a lot of oh. ghost, ghost stories in New Orleans. Ooh. A lot. Yes. I would really love that. Like, that. actually, that would be, like, a really cool way to, like, introduce more type of lore into, like... Because they haven't really touched on much, like, the ghost side of the supernatural magic. part of... Yeah, magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see more ghosts, like, extraterrestrial. I mean, not extraterrestrial. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, Esoteric? Yeah, there you go. Um, my words. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see more ghost magic, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, we don't get to see that much. We just get to see, you know, people get, um, you know, exercised and all that. Not exercised. What What are my words today, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> Someone speak for me. But you get what I'm saying. We just get to see them, yeah. you know, expelled from the body. We don't get to see, you know, ghosts really interact with magic or their, or their um, involvement in it. And we know yeah. they have involvement. I would love to see that. Hearkening back to Savage Avengers, we see Dr. Strange take Dr. Voodoo to basically a bayou and he interacts with some of the local spirits and deities there. So yeah, it'd be great to see some of the local spirits and deities and you know have interaction with the with the kids, with the with the students there. Because yeah, it's like quite often you don't see the spirit side or the local, you know, like deity side of a place. And New Orleans would be awesome for them to actually pull that out. Since Doyle died. 
dies at the end of issue six, <laughs> we might oh. get to see the more spiritual side or more. Oh, you know, my go God. Flip oh yes. Because they're going to have to bring him back. Like, oh, yeah. There's, so, there's, there's no way they're just going to have to. So on, on that topic, I was just looking through the books and in issue three, he has a vision of the future mm-hmm. oh, that's right. when they were leaving that yeah. museum that we were talking about and in that vision he sees eric on the ground with the same wound that he ended up having in the sixth issue oh yep yep he does it i that's why i'm like i i think dormammu is gonna that is as soon as doyle died i was Mm -hmm. like okay well dormammu is gonna come and be like Mm -hmm. strange you killed my son (laughs) yeah i knew not to let him go to this school i hate (laughs) you i'm gonna destroy your school now like something is gonna happen with Dormammu coming because yeah. Dormammu hates Strange already. Anything mm-hmm. Strange does, he finds as an insult to him. So his son dying at his school is oh, uh, the ultimate right. insult. <laughs> yeah, I'm really surprised that he was okay with sending a Doyle to the school in the first place. Yeah, honestly, same. I feel like there's, just like we know, there's something hidden with the price of magic that um, mm, Delma right, doesn't yes. like that Dr. Voodoo and Dr. Strange are doing with the school. I think yeah. they made probably some kind of deal or something with Dormammu to get his son there too. The cost of magic is being covered. And we've seen that most of these students are actually already proficient in at least base level magic because like most of them have known that they were magical for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Emily Bright was the only one that didn't get a chance to really work with her powers. But like Despair is from a different demon dimension. So she's grown up with her powers all of her life. Uh, Zoe has known about her powers or, you know, at least her particular situation for quite some time. Jermaine has known since he was young and has actually pretty good animus control over, you know, like different spirits that he can create from himself. Calvin has good control over his his little jacket. jacket. Yeah. <laughs> creepy jacket. I love the thing so much. But yeah, like most video the- games with him. <laughs> yep. That's really cool. <laughs> But yeah, like most of these characters have good, at least base level control of their own magic. But now, of course, they're being asked to do things that are much more intense, that take a lot more work, skill, practice and cost. And but all of them are going, oh, yeah, I haven't felt like really tired after using all this magic, even though we were doing it all day. And I I don't have a headache. and I don't feel like my head's going to blow up. And, you know, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I wonder why. And it's like, oh, you know, it's just the fresh New Orleans air. <laughs> like, oh no, somebody's somebody's covering that cost. And yes, uh, Zelma was like, Yeah, I really don't like the fact that we're not telling these kids everything. And eventually they're gonna do magic outside of the academy and it could bite them in the ass. So mm-hmm. why aren't we telling them? Yeah, because if people don't know when the series that Zelma was in, which I'm so glad she's in this, I'm so glad we get to see more of her because I love that character. <laughs> but the Doctor Strange series that she got introduced to, magic was almost gone and then they had a whole like Doctor Strange event that was only in the Doctor Strange books um, but magic came back but now magic has a cost so magic mm-hmm. didn't have a cost before mm-hmm. you didn't really have a cost in a Marvel universe before honestly like yeah. people could just do magic willy nilly it didn't really matter yeah they really could <laughs> yeah they could do whatever they wanted and nothing <laughs> happened 
But now since magic was almost gone, they brought it back. They brought it back with having to, you know, give something up Mm -hmm. or something gets taken from you when you do like a major spell or any kind of spell. Yeah. So I'm glad that they do that now because I've always thought magic is is better in a story when it's not just willy nilly like it. You have to it costs you something to do it. That way it actually matters. Yeah. Yeah, That Mm. way you don't have like toddlers, you know, opening, ripping open dimension doors to let in old gods by accident because, hey, they have limitless power. It's like. Yeah, yeah that's that probably one of the reasons why I've always enjoyed Nico Minaru because she always had a limit mm-hmm. to her power set. Mm-hmm. Well, and she and she knew like when to push it and when not to push it because she's like, look, certain things can just be done the old-fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, certain things you know you have to use magic for. So yeah. try not everything to needs magic. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't wait till we see Nico actually teach a class. I really want to see that. I, right. That, that would be a dream. <laughs> right? Because we only really get to see Nico in Runaways now. And I'm like, yeah. I want to see her in more things. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, okay. That's where, she, that's where she's from? Yeah. Runaways? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I, I haven't read any of that yet. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I feel... It's a good series. It's definitely yeah, it, a good it's, series. It's, it's it is. It's a phenomenal yeah. book. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's actually the series that really got me into comics. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good little tidbit right there. That's awesome. Yes. Fun yeah, fact. I, I, <laughs> I do love The Runaways. The TV show was cool, too. Yeah. Nico has always been my favorite character out of The Runaways. She's, I, she, she, to me, she's a standout character. Yeah. yeah. She's wildly interesting. I love actually, you know, watching, you know, what she does and how she interacts. Like, mm-hmm. she's probably one of the most interesting, kind of in-depth characters. She's a bit more subtle. So, yeah, it's like, oh, there's so many layers to her. And it's really great to watch. And, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I can't wait to see her as a teacher because I think she's going to teach them a little bit more skill, a little bit more precision, a little bit more strength. Because mm-hmm. she was also in Avengers Academy, which mm-hmm. I love the development they did with her, and I kind of don't like that they pulled that back um, <laughs> more so now. But I, since she's been in that kind of setting and that kind of, um, you know, superhero schooling environment, I think she has a really good perspective, just like magic has a good perspective in a more superhero academy environment. I would love for this to get hopefully at least 20 plus more issues. So we, this can yeah. be like a huge like omnibus mm-hmm. like book, like because this is what it deserves. We never really this yeah. is a fresh new you know take. We've never had a magic school before. Mm-hmm. This could even be like its own, if not live action, it could be its own, you know. Oh, animated I would love TV that. show. I would, oh, I would eat right? that shit up. Yeah, that <laughs> would be so cool. Like, think of the the toys we could get, the figures. Oh my like, god, yes. <laughs> Yo, the statue. Listen. Oh, the, the money is right there, Marvel. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a goose lug plushie, please. Yeah. Like they could take oh like Strange Academy could be the new magic school everyone loves. Oh my god, yes. And mm-hmm. and it has inclusivity already very much built into it. Because you have yeah. an ice giant, you have Fey, you have demons, you have, you know, uh all manner of people, all color, creed, race, nationality. Exactly. Like it's so perfectly set up. Like everyone basically sees themselves in different characters. Like that's what Absolutely. I love about it. Yeah. So, Speaking of characters, 
uh, I want to go down the line. Who is everyone's favorite character so far? Like, I know that's hard, but <laughs> who do you, who's your favorite and who do you see yourself more in? Because we all see ourselves in something like we were just talking about. Mm. So oh let's God. start with, uh, let's start with Raven. I think for me, I really, really like Desi and Zoe because they mm-hmm. make, they're, they're good roommates and Zoe needs somebody to pull her out of her shell and Desi desperately needs somebody to teach her how to edit what she's saying <laughs> and so i think i think they're going to be good for each other so i'm really invested in seeing how they work out as students and also how they work out as roommates so yeah those i can't pick one those two are my favorites nice nice what about you rob oh shit um <laughs> <laughs> damn this is like asking me who my favorite uh, x-men member is i know it's hard um... <laughs> Well, who Probably do you see Zoe, yourself really. as? Uh, well, uh, I would say Zoe because, like, I definitely understand what it's like to, you know, not really want to, like, open up to a lot of people at first and kind of mind your business and kind of, mm. you know, at first and then eventually grow and kind of, like, establish those connections a little later on and kind of wanting to, like, keep a lot of things to yourself for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> I love Zoe. She's awesome. What about you, Kyle? Mm, um... I I kind of relate with Calvin and Doyle, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. <laughs> like. Like I, I don't know. I just I just want to adopt Calvin and give him hugs. And... Aww. <laughs> He's just like a sweet boy. And, sweet boy. And Doyle, you can tell I I love how he puts on this this hard face, but you can tell that there's good in him and he even though he's always arguing with Eric he he genuinely does like him and he i mean even even in the the sixth issue he puts him his own life on the line for everybody and i like that see doyle reminds me of basically like another version of the hellstrom siblings because you know their father is you know this great big bad evil person <laughs> and they have to live in expectation they're like oh well you know i have to be big and boisterous and powerful so i'm better than everybody because of who my father is like i am like the prince of whatever whatever so you should already be bowing down to me and everyone's like no you're you're okay you know well you're just like everybody else like maybe you're worse so <laughs> I, I think he's just got a lot of bravado yeah. yeah yeah but of course hey look who introduced him to the business end of a wand the moment he stepped on property the Asgardians so I can understand some of that bravado when it comes to trying to look like more of a big meal than they want to actually deal with oh yeah because I mean I'm sure wherever he goes to I mean everyone knows Dormammu so it's like Mm -hmm. oh well you know you're Dormammu's son you must be evil we have to Mm -hmm. kill you or either bow down to you yeah 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 but I I would say I, we haven't really talked about this character that much but I I relate to her a lot because I feel like I was this way in high school very like cheery and annoying and got in people's faces um, I gave people lots of hugs um, I was I was Shaylee I was Shaylee a lot I think that's how you say her name Shaylee yeah, Moonpetal that's yeah. how I say it yeah I, 
I was basically the person who got people's faces, said good morning really loudly, and then hugged them and picked them up, um, <laughs> which I found out is not a good. Don't do that. Do yeah, not no, go to people no. and hug them, pick them up. No, bad, bad younger me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I, I really love her bubbly personality. And I'm just like, I, I'm glad that we have that like ball of sunshine in this like school of angsty teenagerness <laughs> and i love that she's just like to emily oh my god i forget how normal you are that's so cute <laughs> <laughs> That was but my favorite thing. I think it's lovely, though, that they have these students and that they overstep just certain boundaries a little bit because most kids are kind of that way where they haven't learned all the boundaries. So, yeah, she she's like, hey, and they're like, I haven't even had coffee. Can you please back up like 30 pieces? <laughs> oh, you're too much. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to see them start off a little bit too boisterous or a little bit too gung ho. And I feel like they're slowly teaching them how to edit and how mm. they're, you know, teaching them how to how to interact with it up but oh god i love her i, I know oh, she's, she's adorable. I, oh moon puddle and and desi are just like the polar opposites and yet i love both of these characters <laughs> so much <laughs> oh it's so true it <laughs> is i would love to see more about toth and gus though yes oh God, yeah. i want to yes. see more about them i want to know why toth can't talk and i just want to know about more gus in general because we don't really know anything about him well i think thoth is uh from weird world and he's oh yeah just he's crystalline structure so i'm just like god what would that even sound like or does he I don't know. didn't he like, oh. met, like wasn't like telepathy like most of his speech was in in not that he talks much at all but I don't think we've I don't think we've even heard him do telepathy before. I know we've seen oh. we've we've saw characters say that Toth told them something. Yeah. But I don't right. think we've actually oh, yeah. seen him say anything or tell our like, you know, telepathy oh. bubble anything, you know. Oh. So oh. that's that's I'm like yeah. that's interesting. We haven't seen that yet. And I'm I'm like, why haven't we seen that? There's something to that. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, like I think it's only six episodes in. So yeah, I think there's still a couple more characters for them to really explore. Uh Thoth, Jermaine, uh, Calvin, and and Gooselog would be a really like those are like I think the top four that they haven't been able to delve into too mm-hmm. much. Like oh god yeah I can't I can't wait to see oh I can't wait to see more from them especially Goose oh my god Gooselog like <laughs> oh oh damn boy like you a big old thing and a big old thing <laughs> <laughs> and you have like Loki on your side which is great I love yes. I love that they made Loki oh the Frost Giant King like that's great. Right. I- <laughs> I love that he's also salty that they didn't make him a teacher. Yes. <laughs> that was great. That was like perfection writing. That's definitely major Loki attitude. Yeah. How could you not? And they're like, uh, God of mischief. Hello. I'm like, you're going to cause all of our students to be bad, Loki. No. <laughs> watch yeah. watch you'll get like a substitute teacher position in one of the episodes <laughs> right he probably would i mean he does know a lot of things so he would be yeah. a good teacher but he would also not be a good teacher <laughs> i i i really hope because you know disney plus is doing all the tv shows and they're doing mm-hmm. like tv shows i never thought they would do like i never thought they would do armored wars mm. like i'm excited about it but i never thought yeah, they would do it. i'm excited so, for that too. with all the other you know streaming services doing you know magical tv shows like sabrina mm-hmm. and you know cw's done like i don't know the magicians or something i can't remember um <laughs> but 
Disney Plus hasn't done anything really with magic except for Doctor Strange. Now they're doing WandaVision. I'm like, Strange Academy's right there. Yeah. Could, if if Netflix can do Sabrina, the um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, then Disney Plus can do Strange Academy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. And that it would be a perfect series for that kind of older teen slash young adult-ish area. So, yeah. And yeah, they don't really like, have anything for that right now. Yeah. That, the, oh, God. That would be a... <laughs> I would, I would absolutely watch that. I would, I would I'd watch it and probably very much enjoy it. Um, whether it was a live action or whether it was an animated, I think it would be a beautiful addition to a roster for um, for actual, you know, like watching and not just reading because so well done. So mm-hmm. well done. The only reason I think I would want more live action more than animation is because so many people look at animation as kiddish, even though yeah. there's so many animation that's not. There's so many perfect oh, animation that's not for kids at all. Mm-hmm. But still, the world is like animation kids mm-hmm. and i feel like more people get into live action just it just has a bigger audience yeah so i yeah. feel like that would be such a great thing to get i mean we would get so many people you know getting the the sweater vest with the strange academy logo on it yeah. and we'd have yeah. strange academy you know you know people making their own classrooms and schedules and everything like it ugh, we could it could be so much <laughs> yeah. show, it would definitely increase the chances of like these characters you know continuing like after the series eventually ends one day because mm-hmm. that's one of my you know fears because with a lot of teen books characters tend to just be you know forgotten about and yeah. this is a cast of characters but that would you know it would kind of be heartbreaking to see them not use like years to come yeah, yeah absolutely I... and then and they can age them up mm-hmm. as it goes yeah. so i mean i mean most of them seem to be about i want to say between late junior high early high school so mm-hmm. i mean give us a couple of years where they're aging up to college age by all means and then introduce them to like the adult books you know a, a, a get them into the avengers get them into you know uh doctor strange get them into you know different books that are meant for actual adult adults instead of just young adults or teens there's there's a great potential to take these wonderful characters that have been made and make them into long-term characters that you can see well into the future no oh, pun definitely. intended <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely agree. Like we could get like even a we don't really have a magic superhero team. I don't mm. think we haven't had one for a long time. So yeah. I would love to see that. Maybe you know start their own like quote unquote coven or what have you. You know and, that yeah. would be a really good like since you bring that up like that would be a very good spin off like eventually like way down the line. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean this Ooh, this book introduces so much potential. Like that's yeah. what I'm like if it gets a lot of books and we get a lot of character growth you mm-hmm. can do a lot with these characters yeah oh god yeah absolutely i love that i love that <laughs> oh my god you're right like a full-on magical team that'd be amazing yeah that's what i love about these like teen books is because they're they will sometimes they introduce the characters of future you know mm-hmm. like we wouldn't have a lot of the books that we have now without you know introducing you know young prodigies or you know having you know avengers True. academy all that other you know team book things if we mm-hmm. like we wouldn't have the champions right now mm-hmm. you know? or we wouldn't have a lot of the x-men right now that we have mm-hmm. that we come to love like yeah. it's a lot of these books that start off as you know little fun you know kid books or kid adventure books 
create some of our you know top heroes that we have in later books yeah yeah absolutely very true very true very true. Nice. so what is everyone's let's start with kyle what is everyone's final thoughts on strange academy uh i i love it i can't wait to read more and i i hope that they include more of the extra world building at the ends of each issue oh, like oh a, yeah with like, the, like a grimoire yeah yeah, yeah. Like the class schedules and the recipes and all that <laughs> oh, my oh my god the cookbook <laughs> I, I took pictures of that i'm actually gonna try out some of those recipes because they look so good i know yeah. we didn't even we didn't even mention that the um the unnamed the mindful one the mindful one yes, yes. thank you the mindful yeah. one he's making all the food and everything and talking to <laughs> that is a nice touch to this book i loved that yes and I they, and they make those recipes they, they put the grimoire pages at the end with these recipes that the wording is a little weird but if you know enough about baking or cooking you can you could well guesstimate what they're trying to say so I'm oh like, definitely mm-hmm. i think i'm gonna be trying some of hers <laughs> <laughs> i definitely want to try it i'm gonna i'm gonna i might do it re- like soon try to post it on in twitter <laughs> see what happens <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. uh what about you robbie what are your final thoughts uh, it's definitely a series that I'm in love with. I just genuinely cannot wait just to see the potential for everyone. There's just characters and concepts that we haven't really fully explored before. Like, for example, I don't. I really don't even think there are many, like, zombie characters <laughs> in Marvel, like, at all much. <laughs> so, you know, with them introducing concepts we don't see, mm-hmm. it really gives a uniqueness to this storyline. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm just... And, yeah, as y'all could tell, I'm a very big Zoe stan, and <laughs> I, just, I just can't wait to just to see her potential, because... She she easily could become well actually all of these characters could easily become powerful mm-hmm. magic users and future superheroes mm-hmm. but with her i i see it with her <laughs> oh yeah I, she's definitely a, uh, gonna be a standout character i feel like yeah. zoe and emily because emily was the first one we see so they're obviously gonna do something with her um mm-hmm. those two characters i feel like we're gonna see if no one else see in like future teams yeah emily kind of looks like a kid Doctor Strange, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm. I can see that. She's like a, yeah. a, a female version of young Doctor Strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Raven? What are your final thoughts? Oh, my God. I would not have necessarily picked up this book when I saw it, but I'm so glad that I did. There was just something about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I read the little preview and the preview was fun. Okay, let's see what this is about. I have never been so happy to have picked up a book because of a preview. It's so good. It's it's diverse it's layered it's beautifully done like story characters art all of it was so wonderfully done and the grimoire pages are just a beautiful little you know cherry on top of it all and i can honestly see them aging these characters up and then putting them on like either their own magical team or uh, putting them on other teams that need a magic user and each of them have such different and varied but very powerful types of magic that oh my god i just i, I can't can't wait I, you could hear how 
excited I am. I can't <laughs> wait to see more from this. I, I think it's going to be absolutely amazing and wonderful. And honestly, give me an omnibus. Give me a giant ass coffee table omnibus. I will pay you for it. I will pay yeah. you for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Like, I'm, I'm buying every uh, issue of this physical, but I'm buying the omnibus when it comes out. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my final thoughts. I, I'm okay. So it might not be, it might be known. It might not be known. I don't know. But I'm, a, I would love magic. <laughs> um, I love a lot of books about magic, not just comp books, but I am a big magic type of person. And when this, I read like all the Doctor Strange stuff and all that, but um, Doctor Voodoo. But when this first got announced, I was like, man, I can't wait. You know, we kind of just kind of lost Harry Potter. You know, it kind mm-hmm. of, it mm-hmm. kind of got a bad stain on that. So I was like, oh, I did another like magic, you know, school and it's in comic books and it's a Marvel. I was like, oh my God. And it's and then, inclusive. And it's <laughs> inclusive. Like I get to see people like me and other people. Like what? <laughs> and then when the preview pages came out before the first issue came out with the teachers, I was like, oh my God. So we get Nico, we get Scarlet Witch and we get magic and we get one of the Hellstroms. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sign me the hell up. Like, yeah. <laughs> I need it injected into my veins. <laughs> but yeah i like you said robbie i'm excited to see more in depth about the characters that we haven't really got into yet mm-hmm. and i i just i'm ready for more that's that's it i'm ready for more yeah yay Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and it wouldn't be an episode of X's for Podcast if there wasn't a State of X segment. This next State of X segment sees myself, Jonah, and Maddie all discussing the reality of the Reign of X image being a month old already, and just how much of that image has already come true. Whether it's Maverick appearing in, well, this episode of X's for Podcast in the pages of Wolverine, or it's the upcoming X-Men election introduced in X-Men 16. There's a lot to love in this image, and so much of it has already started appearing in the pages of X-Men. We had a great time recording it. We hope you guys love it, and we can't wait to talk to you next week. Hey, everybody, I'm Nico, and you can find me at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, guys, it's Maddie, and you can find me over on Instagram at The Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience because, oh boy, you don't want to miss about these crazy things they're teasing us about. So please do survive. Oh, for real. No one die. No one die. This is like the most excited I've been about a preview image since the last preview image, I guess for Ten of Swords. This is just quite the lineup of characters. And unlike all the previews for Ten of Swords, we've seen almost all of these. Because with the Ten of Swords image, it was nine or ten characters we'd never seen seen before. But with this, this is a number of characters that we know pretty well. The bare minimum, a handful of these characters have appeared a handful of times. But unlike the Ten of Swords preview images, which were intentionally not quite misleading, but shrouded in mystery, these pages are explicitly about drawing in fans to things they've maybe missed or have been getting excited about in the pages of Ten of Swords. We've been talking a little bit about how early Dawn of X is kind of gone, like long 
long gone are the, the days of Black Tom running X-Force and Iceman getting real angry in the pages of Marauders and stuff. Like, those and days kissy. are... Yeah, and Kissy. You're all Kissy up on Christian. And, like, those days seem to be gone, and we've moved into new eras. But I'm really excited for what this image is teasing. Looking through this image, I can't say that there is maybe one figure uh, that I that I don't recognize. And that is, that is as Nico just pointed out, such a stark contrast to the promo image for Ten of Swords. Ten of Swords, of course, as we've seen the, the consequence of rollover into X-Men 16 with the Iraqi joining Krakoa or failing to, you know, we're definitely due for more unfamiliar faces ahead than familiar ones. So this is a nice anchor piece for me. It's really interesting that when we talk about the promotional art and the teasers for Ten of Swords, it was because there was a lot of characters we didn't know and they were introduced in that event. But here we're getting characters that everybody already knows and already have storylines that have been established. And, you know, these images of them are meant to say, we hear what people are talking about. We hear what you're saying. We're going to be covering these storylines. Don't you worry. We're getting to them. Which is kind of nice because they keep promising a Storm storyline and then we keep getting like parts of one. I feel like this is the 80th part of a Storm storyline that we're getting, but neither here nor there. Now, Maddie, to start things off with the lower left-hand corner, you just covered uh, the most recent issue of Wolverine in this episode. And I believe you'd mentioned in the episode that was your introduction to Maverick. Yeah, that was my introduction to Maverick. That was my introduction to Team X, as they called it uh, on the whole. And it, it is exciting to see already by the time we got around to this state of X that we are seeing events from the current run already bleed out from this image. Now, Jonah, I know you don't have too much experience with Maverick as of yet, but I know you are quite the patch man. And how do you feel about Wolverine still taking such a front and center image in this promotional shot? I know we've all said that even I'm reaching some, oh, okay, go away, Wolverine. So how are you feeling with the knucklehead in the front piece of this front piece? I am. I think I'm okay with it because it's not Wolverine doing typical Wolverine things. Patch is a, it's a specific moniker he's adopted in Madripoor. And I think that leads to more stories that can be varied and different because he's not acting like Wolverine because he's not Wolverine. He's Patch. So having putting Wolverine in situations where he's not himself or not acting like himself or giving him new environments to interact with will lead to stories that are a little bit more varied and have people be like, okay, it's a lot of Wolverine, but at least it's different. Now, if you're looking for more information on Patch or Maverick and you want to check out some classic X stories, you should check out Wolverine 1 through 10 by Chris Claremont, the kickoff off of his solo series for a little bit more information on good old Madripoor Patch. And if you're looking to understand Maverick a bit better, you're going to want to turn to Jim Lee's X-Men shortly after Chris Claremont left. So somewhere in that sweet spot of 4 to 11 in that year, 1992, where the sort of generation of a lot of Maverick began. Now, from there, the image gives something that I guess I was looking forward to, but I guess I really wasn't looking for it yet. Kind of hidden behind Maverick, as Maddie, you so accurately pointed out, Maverick kind of obscures him almost 
is everybody's favorite makes me want to holler Legion. And I'm thrilled to have him back, but it does just feel like he and X-Man just went the fuck away. And it feels like they are just the fuck back. And now I don't know how many of you have experience with the TV show or Legion beyond classic new mutants. But for me, this is kind of an exciting homecoming that I'm not sure how I feel about happening so quickly. How do you guys feel about the return of Legion? You know, I had not been reading the books to current before House and Powers began. So I'm not as burnt out on Legion as everybody else might be. And I've actually just begun Legion, the FX show uh, currently streaming on Hulu. So my excitement is pretty peaked for Legion, but I do understand like the the connotation, like the social connotation that this is an unpopular opinion. I don't know a lot about this son of Charles. I'm at the point in when he was like, Gabby was introduced. My only other stint of information about him is when Nico showed me the first few episodes of the show. So I know nothing about Legion. I just know that he uh, has a lot of problems, like every and almost any X-Men has daddy issues. And it's really funny because his daddy probably caused a lot of them. So I'm excited to see where it goes because I don't know anything about him. I'm excited to see David get a fair shake in a fair world where mutants have at least a fighting chance. And if you're looking to know a little bit more about David, I would recommend checking out Classic New Mutants. There was recently a New Mutants omnibus, which contains all of his origin issues. Like, I think it's like New Mutants 25 to 27. And then he will return throughout the run of New Mutants before making a pretty big splash in the uncanny sort of disassembled days of 1989, 1990. He would eventually go on to cause the Age of Apocalypse before resurfacing in the kind of post-AVX era in a really interesting way. He was around during X-Men Legacy, which led to him getting a solo run, X-Men Legacy 1 through 24, which I highly recommend, as well as the Pete Milligan five-issue follow-up miniseries. So you probably want to check those out if you're looking for a little bit more information on Legion. But you know who there's not a whole lot more information on yet? Uh, The Hellfire Gala? I feel like that's been this slow building idea in the background for a million years. And as of yet, all I know about it is it's super fabulous super fabulous i am very excited to see what the hellfire gala looks like in light of the events of the most recent issue of marauders i'm very excited that we seem to be moving briskly past the the over a dozen issue in the making sebastian shaw arc and i'm excited to see what the future of the hellfire club looks like so as far as i can interpret the image it feels like there's an invitation being extended to one specific individual does anybody have, if you could hazard a guess, who this invitation might be extended to? I would imagine it's being extended to the readers that they've said a lot of things about how the Hellfire Gala is going to play a pivotal role for the entirety of the X franchise when it occurs. It might even be the reveal of where the X-Men are going to be voted on. So I think it's more an invitation to the readers to come along and be part of this. Here's the thing. I don't think it's specifically just a Hellfire ba- uh, ball. I think it's going to be the wedding. Hope this is where we get to see where Emma and Tony Stark are supposed to get married. Because they said that's going to happen, and it still hasn't happened yet. And I'm wondering when I'm going to see Emma in a white dress made by Jumbo Carnation. It's just... I Can I be really honest? I really don't want to see Tony Stark on Krakoa. Well, no, he's, not, he's not allowed on Krakoa. Yeah, he's not allowed on Krakoa. They're just, they're, but they had, they had to get married. That We said that, that, that was a thing. The history of the Marvel Universe told us that we were going to see 
Emma Frost and Tony Stark tie the knot. So, you know, I am wondering when we're going to start inching toward that, maybe King in Black will bring us a little bit closer. But Oh, my, oh would, would the follow-up event be Queen in White? Oh, I can only dream. Now, speaking of dreams or horrifying nightmare creatures, we have uh, two real severe monster faces up in the upper left-hand corner. And I can't quite figure out who's more horrifying, if it's Mad Jim Jaspers or Tarn the Uncaring. Now, Mad Jim is probably best known from his time in the Alan Moore, Alan Davis, Jaspers Warp and Crooked World storyline from the pages of Captain Britain back in Mighty World of Marvel, as well as the Daredevils. But he has seen some resurfacing, whether it was his initial secret American appearance in Uncanny X-Men 200 back in the 1980s, or it was his return in the pages of X-Men Die by the Sword. We've seen little bits of Jaspers here and there, but this kind of promises that he's going to be coming a bit more full due, which is in great contrast to Tarn the Uncaring, a character who we've had, you know, an appearance and a half of, who I'm pretty sure is out to out sinister sinister. So I'm excited about this new face of villainy in the age of the Reign of X. How do you guys feel about this contrast of like Tarn the Uncaring versus Magim Jaspers, old nightmares versus new nightmares? Well, speaking of very specific nightmares, can I tell you who I thought Mad Jim Jaspers was until you corrected me? I thought it was one of the Bar Sinister clones in a gondolier's outfit. Well, I love that mental image and I can only dream... But no, that's my good. That's my good buddy, Mad Jim. That's, that's, uh, that's everybody. That's everybody's favorite plaid world destroyer. <laughs> I um I I am excited for more of Tarn the Uncaring. To be honest, I as revealed in the most recent issue of X Men, Tarn is on one of the council sectors of Araco. so he is very specifically Sinister's equal in the Iraqi Krakoa. Okara of it all. So I am very excited to see more of him. And I think Zeb Wells did a fantastic job of bringing that character a lot of life in one and a half appearances. It also makes me feel better about just how hard I psychotically stand those characters and their first appearance. The Locust Vial was worth all of my love and all of my adoration. Now, Jonah, are you excited to see Mad Jim or Tarn the Un... I almost said Tarn the Uninterested or Tarn the Uncaring <laughs> interact with the X-Men going forward in the Reign of X? I am really fascinated about the Tarn the Uncaring storyline that we have brewing, mostly because I don't want Sinister to succeed. I like when Sinister's in the background and we don't know what he's doing, and then to come to find out he's been doing, like, you know, bad shit. And everyone being like, Sinister! And he's like, but what? You know who I am. That's how I imagine he talks when he's trying to get away with things. Um, so I've been probably pretty vocal about me being upset that no one's been questioning Sinister or what he's been doing. I get it. Everyone's supposed to be welcome Koa, but like you're not going to be like sinister we're going to do it they do like a weekly check-in with you and we're going to scan everything we're going to look through everything so if you try to hide it from us but who can even scan sinister i meant like his place right but who can even scan sinister like but who can like i get i want the same thing you do but who are you gonna get i think apocalypse mm, i think rachel with the assistance of hope here, what if we put Rachel Hope, Quentin Quire, and Gene on mega level telepaths or close to it to, you know, breach those walls? Gene is really the pin that makes that work for me. And not just because Gene, 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 but because like we see Rachel for all of her vaunted power have trouble with great fine detail work all the time. And I don't even know what the hell Hope's powers are anymore. Hope's powers are if you shake her real hard, you get an omelet. I don't even understand anymore. And I'm fine with it. 
but it's cool. That's a mutant I would love to see, is you shake them real hard and you get an omelet. That oh. is the weirdest thing that I don't think anybody else could have come up with. I believe her name is Nanny. Oh, I was going to say the scrambler, but Nanny. That's just mean. Well, I am happy to see some familiar faces on this promo image as well. We have ex favesies well, I guess just two, Monet and Storm. And then I guess on either side of them is like Quentin and Warren. And we have some ideas about where Warren is headed. Warren and Monet seem to be destined for some sort of X-Core situation. If you're looking for more information on X-Core and X-Corporation, you're going to want to check out the X-Core trade featuring Uncanny X-Men 394 to 409, an annual from 2001. And if you're looking for more information on X-Corporation, well, that runs a whole lot longer. You can find a bit of it in the pages of New X-Men in the same arc that introduced the world to Phantom X. So I'm excited about that part of it. My precious Quentin seems to be in pain and my beautiful Storm seems to be going to sword now or something. I That cube better be coming to Earth because I am not sending more mutants to space. Everybody's already on sword. I love sword and everyone's already on sword, but everyone's on sword. I, I'm really hoping to see some interplay between Sword and Marauders. I'm really hoping that the Storm tease is a tease for the return to the Volume 1 Marauders cast, the Bishop, Iceman, Pyro, Storm, and Kate of it all. What pirates have to do with space, I don't know. I'll rewatch Treasure Planet and get back to you. Corsair! That's a space pirate. That is a space pirate. And the Star Jammers. Yeah, and I actually love your idea that there's interplay between Marauders and Sword. I think I was getting nervous that Storm was going to wind up leaving Marauders for Sword. But, you know, some interplay between the titles, especially with Dugan and Ewing having such a great rapport with one another. I would love to see that. Now, how do you guys feel about x Corps? How do you guys feel about a team of mutants going all around the world saving the day? And also, why is nobody with me on being sad about Quentin? It looks like his face is exploding. He looks like a Noxzema advertisement from 1989. Well, if if we could go Quentin first, I'm really hoping, even though the power signature looks a little bit off, I'm really hoping in spite of his untinth deaths in the last year of publication, I'm hoping that this is him embodying the Phoenix Force. As much as I just said that I would really like to see another 10 years without Phoenix, must she or chagrin, I would not be, I would not balk at that idea for moving that character forward. I believe that the Phoenix is about to be bequeathed to someone in the pages of Jason Aaron's Avengers. But considering Jason Aaron has extensively written Quentin Choir in the pages of his own Thor, where there was like a Thor, Wolverine, Phoenix, Quentin Choir, also Odinson, Mega, oh, and Ultimate Thor. It was fucking wild. Talking about the issue, I really like the idea of the writers giving a love letter to their own mutants and saying, okay, well, if... We're not going to reflect the real world. Let's actually do something about it. Let's let's figure out a team that can say the people want this team. We're going to prove to the people that the island nation of Krakoa that we are going to serve their interests. You are being heard. What do we need to do to make things right? And I really appreciate that. So I'm excited to see what comes about that. It is of note that the peak from Sword also makes an appearance in this image and that it just kind of makes an appearance on the right side of the page. But 
But that does even lend more credence to Maddie's suggestion that perhaps the cube from sword number one isn't directly connected to the rest of sword. But that does bring us to the right side of the image, which that top right corner, that has to be made for me. Like Nimrod, Shadow King, and Arcade, you don't get more exactly for and about Nico than that. And that is very for and about Nico. Arcade is probably my favorite villain the X-Men have ever had. Shadow King is up there. I mean, you could have only sweetened the pot by tossing Mojo on top. I think that that is some hell of a lineup of bad guys coming for the X-Men after a year of all new bad guys, nonstop new bad guys. It's just nice to have a couple of familiar faces to wail on. You know, it's so funny. I have recently become acquainted with Arcade in the pages of Captain Britain and Excalibur. So I'm very excited to see this character be making a return, although I wonder how the character is going to have aged. I'm a little curious to see how a Arcade tech whiz functions in 2021, but I don't, I don't doubt the X-Desk. I mean, he's consistently appeared this entire time. He's just advanced with the times. Well, listen, he's kind of like Team Rocket. Stay with me. He does ridiculous things, and the X-Men just tend to fall for it. Like, he could walk up to them in, like, like a, like, you know, like a party hat, and they'd be like, who is this small person with red hair? He kind of looks like Beast when he's in his human form. And everyone would just be like, we don't know. And then he gets them with the giant, you know, uh, garbage truck and scoops them up. He does, in fact, scoop people up with a giant garbage truck. That is actually how he defeated Captain Britain and Spider-Man once before. I was going to say yeah. that, that that team up, that was my standout moment of that team up. Wow. I, I love that team up so much. And, of course, the most recent issue of New Mutants, to piggyback off of one of your mentions before, saw the introduction of Shadow King in the Reign of X era uh, through the deft hand of Vita Ayala. So we, we're already seeing at least one of three of these characters come around full circle in the first month. And we even had that taste of Arcade from Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood. So it's kind of like, this is a whole lot of people we've been waiting on. And speaking of people we've been waiting on, at the bottom of the image on the right-hand side, we have X-23 and Sync in their fantastic, amazing Lionel U costumes. And I am thrilled that these characters are coming back. I mean, they've been teased to be coming back since during Ten of Swords. So they didn't even wait. They just were like, no, it's it's happening. And it's finally here. I could not wait another moment for Laura to come back. With all of these Wolverine titles, I'd really appreciate it if they could just hand one to her. It would just make more sense. It's good storytelling, guys. It's good storytelling. But Sync never really had a chance to shine. By the time Gen X was around long enough, to have been around it was no longer the most gen x is a book that was more interesting in concept and previous to its release than its sales ever maintained by issue 18 of gen x it was old and it was shot and part of that is because immediately after starting it was age of apocalypse and immediately before starting they killed a couple of the kids that they'd introduced because it was you know the red herrings and stuff like that and then the team kind of had to go their separate ways because of onslaught and then operation zero tolerance there were reasons but if you want to know more about gen x i know that there will be a generation x omnibus edition coming out and that's pretty much the definitive statement on sync before this obviously and not enough can be said about laura whether you look at laura through the pages of nyx and x23 new x-men or you fast forward to a lot of the more recent stuff her uncanny x-force her all-new wolverine run her number of solo series she is spectacular and fantastic and we're all a lot richer for having a lot more laura 
You know, it, I, I'm so excited to see the possibility of Laura coming back in the near future, especially after reading Wolverine number eight by Ben Percy from a couple weeks back, which introduced a really great family dynamic moment for the Logan Howlett sector with Logan being teamed up with Dokken and Scout and uh, confronting Omega Red. I, the only piece that was missing for me was Laura, and I'm glad that they didn't rush her bringing her back, but I, I really was excited to see, you know, that fourth missing link. I think I'm most excited for to see what the resolution of that entire arc was. When that issue of the Children of the Vault came out, I remember there was a lot of freaking out on this podcast, and I was like, I don't know who these people are. And I was like, okay, like I kind of get it with like people who wanted to be mutants, but didn't become mutants, it became something else, and they kind of like mutants, but not really and then it just really wasn't touched upon again now the final thing that rounds out this image and it might not sound quite like i mean it but follow me for a second three relationships define the end of this image the most classic relationship in the x-men the newest relationship in the x-men and a relationship that has come to be defined as the heart of the x-men i'm talking about classic being gene and scott modern being bay and doug and the heart of the x-men is kurt and religion kurt and his honesty and his emotional availability are so significant to what the x-men have come to be now, I don't define Gene and Scott's love as a dual relationship anymore. I think, you know, they have this great polycule thing going on and it's fantastic. But with all of these rumors of them starting this new X-Men book around this upcoming X-Men election, which may or may not culminate in the Hellfire Gala, the future of Cypher and Bay, which seems as Romeo and Juliet-ish as you can get, this is just going to end in heartbreak for someone. And Kurt and his rekindled love with religion in a way that is going to manifest as the possibility of mutant faith. I really feel like there is so much potential for a balance of light and dark on this side of the page. You know, those villains towering over everything and then this hope as the page trickles down. I find so much to be said about these three relationships. I don't even know where to begin. Well, I, I would first like to point out that the figures in silhouette behind Scott and Jean are presumably the soon-to-be-elected-upon X-Men. So I just want to put that out into uh, into the ether. But I, I definitely think, you know, Nightcrawler is not one that I had coupled into my understanding of breaking this image apart into quadrants. I had initially looked at Bay and Doug and Scott and Jean and seen an obvious parallel, but it is it is fascinating that you bring up Kurt and religion being a a cornerstone of the X-Men. And I do think that, you know, especially now as I'm reading for upcoming coverage with you fine folks on Excalibur and reading a lot of classic Nightcrawler, I definitely understand, you know, and, and I'm very excited to see the progression of Nightcrawler's faith as it as it pertains to mutantdom on the whole. I this will come as no shock, but the lack of role that Kurt has played in the major ways in a lot of these storylines has made me upset because I feel like he's kind of always been a staple character for a lot of the X-Men's runs and lives and popularity. He's never really, in my eyes, a bad character because he's always just seems much more fun and jovial and cool to be around. So having more depth into the mutant religion story will be really fascinating and really refreshing and giving a 
specific character who I think deserves spotlight get it. You know, these State of X segments are really just because sometimes as an X fan, I take a look at something going on in X-Men and I'm just like, wow, this this image, all of these ideas coming together to you know show this layout we actually used to get those in the early 90s jim lee's x-men number one there was this like taste of things to come sort of giant image a lot like this and i oftentimes think those are kind of frivolous and it's like oh great you just pasted together some images that i've seen before terrific no this really had some personality to it this told me a story i could see light and dark balancing across the page there's hope there's the promise of things that have begun and there's the promise of things yet to begin there's reminders Reminders of the far past, and there's echoes of our recent history. And I am excited to see what the Reign of X is going to bring. Looking at this image one last time, there's nothing that I'm really less excited about than anything else. So in whatever order we are given these reveals, these big setups come to fruition, you know, I'm happy to wait for it. I'm just excited to see that so much of what's here is already being hinted at or explicitly shown in the pages of Reign of X in its first month in its infancy so whatever comes next i'm just along for the ride what i think i am most excited for and like echoing what maddie just said there's something i'm not excited for is how the x-men kind of deal with villains they've already faced before a lot of the Hoxpox and dawn of x has been about new villains because most of the biggest ones magneto apocalypse sinister mystique they all joined krakoa they're all you know for lack of a better phrase good mutants now so they're not really causing too much havoc and despair. They're not really against anybody. Being selfish is different than going uh, going against other things. But having, you know, Arcade, Nimrod, the Shadow King, these characters that the X-Men have faced, whether multiple times in the past or not, it's refreshing to see them again. And how are they going to deal with everything, especially with, you know, resurrection protocols, the laws that they might have to follow? There's a lot going on there that I think could be really interesting in how they deal with everything. Thank you.